welcome. If you're listening to this, it's probably because you already know me from my work as a jewellery and fashion designer, or from my recent appearance on The Great British Sewing Bee, a popular UK TV show. If there's one thing I'm more passionate about than my own creative work as a designer and maker, it's helping other creators and makers connect to and fulfil their life's purpose, so that you too can live a life of creativity, meaning and joy. I'm Nicole, and this is Akon. In this episode, we're going to be talking all about pricing. I've been asked a question about how I price my work and also how to justify your pricing when the nature of the materials you use and also the time involved in producing your product puts it into more of a premium bracket. This whole area of pricing is something I get asked about a lot. <laughs> and it's no surprise. When you really think about it, if you have a business where you are selling on products that you are buying or stock that you are buying, it's relatively straightforward to work out what your pricing is going to be. You would look at how much it costs you to uh, procure that product. You would look at your overheads, you know, the cost of you running your business outside of the actual cost of procuring that product or cost of sales. And you apportion a bit of your overheads into each unit. Because if you know you have 100 units to sell and your overheads are £100, then you might just add on £1 to cover your overheads. And then you decide how much profit, how much net profit you want to make on top of that. And that will depend on a number of factors, including any growth plans that you might have and how much you need in order to keep your business growing and sustained. However, if like me, you have a business where you are selling your own creative work and products that come out of your own creativity, pricing is an area that can be a bit more tricky because you are trying to put a value on things which are quite intangible. You're trying to put a value on your creativity, on your skill, on your vision, on your talent, on your time. All of those things are variables, right? There's no set manual to say, well, this is how it's done and therefore this is how you should do it. There is a lot of intuition involved in pricing creative work. And this is something I've come to realize more and more, actually, as I progressed in my own journey in creativity and in business. So I thought it might be useful to, first of all, look at just some of the basic mechanics of pricing, because pricing really is an art. It's not a science. <laughs> and it requires a mixture of data and intuition. So let's have a look at the data part first and what information would be helpful to you in order to start calculating your pricing. And then we'll talk a bit about the intuitive part, because this is the bit where we are really putting a value on things that are pretty intangible. Okay, so let's look first at the data part of it. So your price really needs to cover a few basic things, right? The first one is your cost of sales. And that refers to any direct cost to do with you procuring or creating the product that you're selling. So in my case, it's things like my raw materials. It is any labor cost or production cost. So if I'm paying a sewist to make things for me, uh, or if I'm making things myself, I might apportion how many um, hours I'm working on something and then an hourly rate, and that will become my labor cost. Okay, so those are the two main things when it comes to handmade products that will inform your cost of sales. So cost of your raw materials plus the cost of any labor. 
Once you've added those two things together and you understand what your cost of sales is per product, the next thing you've got to decide is how much to put on top of that, how much margin to add on to that in order to get to your final selling price. And that will depend on a number of factors. Firstly, it's quite useful to understand, from again, from a data perspective, what your overheads are in your business. So that'll be things like, for example, your packaging costs, uh, any website maintenance or website development costs, office supplies, uh, if you have to pay someone, for example, to do some branding work for you or whatever it is, just anything that is not directly related to you producing the product will be in your overheads. Now, it's not really that easy to say, okay, once I know my overheads, I will apportion X amount into each product price because it's quite a nebulous thing, right? Because if you sell a hundred of your products, that will be very, very different. That would have a very different effect on you covering your overheads versus if you sold 10. And we don't always know that sales information in advance. You know, we don't actually know often what the demand is going to be for our product until we get it out there. So what I would say is just bear that in mind when you are working out your profit margin, your gross profit margin is just bear in mind that you will need to be selling enough or charging enough that over, over time when you make sales, you will be comfortably covering all your overheads. That is the only way your business is going to get into profit. Okay, so I think those are really just the two key pieces of data that will be handy for you to know is getting a handle on your cost of sales and getting a handle on your overheads. Now, you may find yourself having the experience that I did on many, many occasions, which is you get to the point where you work out your cost of sales or your actual product cost, so your raw materials and your labor, and you look at that total and you think, oh my God, who is going to pay that? And how on earth could I even charge anything more than that, right? You just can't even imagine adding more on top of that because it feels quite scary. You start to freak out. You start to think, oh my God, who's going to buy it? It's going to be too expensive for everyone. I'm never going to sell anything. You know, and then all the doubts start creeping in and everything starts unraveling, right? I think we know this story very, very well, don't we? <laughs> However, to try and steal your nerves a little bit before we get into the intuitive part of pricing, I want to share with you a few things that I have come to understand through my own experience. Bear in mind that I've been in this game for over 10 years. I've been pricing my own creative work for over 10 years. And even all the while, there were times that I never knew if I was getting it right or not. I had gone through the whole gamut of emotions that gets involved when you are pricing your work, particularly when it feels at a premium. Okay, so here are a few things that I've learned along the way that I hope will help you as you proceed. The first thing is... Remember that just because you wouldn't be able to afford your product does not mean that everybody is not going to be able to afford your product. <laughs> I'd been surprised so many times along the way that when I would be selling pieces of jewelry, well, not even me, I would be selling into retailers who would then mark up my wholesale price by 2.8. Okay. So imagine I'm selling, I'm wholesaling a necklace for 200 pounds. The retailer is selling it for 560. Okay, and all the time I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, who who does that, right? Who buys a necklace for 560 pounds? But believe me when I tell you, those people are out there. <laughs> there are people out there with money 
and who are very, very happy to spend it on things that give them joy. Okay, so you need to get out of the mindset that just because you are not in a position to afford your own product or just because you wouldn't buy something at that price does not mean that somebody else wouldn't. The second thing is you need to accept and be okay with the fact that not everyone is going to be able to afford you. And in fact, no matter how low you get your pricing, it's still going to be too expensive for somebody. I came to this realization years ago when I was doing my trade shows. When I was selling my jewelry, I used to go out to trade shows during fashion weeks and present my work to buyers. And I remember so many times I would have buyers coming to the stand. They would be in loving the jewelry, looking at it, asking about pricing. And I would say for nine out of 10 buyers that came to my stand, my pricing was too high. It wasn't anything personal. It's just they didn't have the customer that would buy things at that price, right? So fair enough. I remember at the time thinking, I wonder if I should bring my prices down because then maybe I'd sell to nine of these 10 buyers rather than the one that I'm doing now, right? And I, I really had this debate with myself. And then I realized, so one of my friends who was also uh, doing shows with me and she did really beautiful, intricate uh, silver jewelry. I absolutely loved her work. And it was, she was working in precious metal. She was working in silver and in gold-plated silver. And I thought her prices were actually pretty reasonably priced compared to you know, the nature of the materials she was using and the intricacy with which she had done her work. But she was pricing her stuff, I think, at a very reasonable level. And I remember being so surprised, and her stuff was way cheaper than mine, by the way. And I remember being so surprised when even she would have buyers who said that her work was too expensive. You know, and for me, that's when the penny dropped because I thought no matter how low I put my prices, it's always going to be too much for somebody, right? And actually by lowering my prices, all I'm going to be doing, yes, I would get more sales and yes, I would close more buyers, but actually I would be giving myself probably 10 times more work. And is that something that I really want to do? Giving myself 10 times more work for the same money I would make from doing what I'm doing now? The answer for me was not really, right? I mean, the jewelry was very intensive to produce. It was very labor intensive. And so the thought of increasing my volumes with less margin just did not make any sense. And so for every time that I had a buyer not buying because it was too expensive and I was doubting myself, the next buyer that would come would be buying the entire collection, no questions asked. And it would reaffirm to me again that actually I was in the right space. There are buyers out there who can afford it and who have the customer that can afford it. And actually, it's okay. It's okay that not everybody can afford your stuff. The last piece of advice I'd give you here before we move on to working out the intuitive part of your pricing is to set your bar where you see it at your fullest potential. What I mean by that is, when we start off, we always think, well, nobody knows me. I don't have a brand. You know, how can I charge the same amount that somebody at the top of their game is charging? But the problem with that is it's very, very difficult to raise your pricing once the horse has bolted, right? Once you've started and you've gone out into market with a particular pricing, it is very unpopular <laughs> when you try to raise prices versus when you have to live with them. Okay, it's much easier and palatable if you go out and your pricing is a little bit too high and you've learned that from experience, you can always adjust it down. But if you aim it too low and you end up 
things to end up taking off and work is picking up and you're realizing actually I'm not charging enough. It is so much more difficult just from a, a palatable point of view with your customers. It's a lot more difficult to start increasing prices after that. Okay, so it's okay. It's okay to punch above your weight when you first start. It is okay to say, I know I'm not there yet, but there is this other designer, there's this other artist, there's this other brand who is charging a comparable amount for a product that is same or even maybe slightly not as good as mine. It is okay to pitch your pricing there because like I said, when it comes to you having a bit of track record and a bit of experience, if you need to bring it down slightly, if that is your gut feel, then it's much easier for you to do that than if you need to raise them. Okay, all that being said, let's talk now a little bit about how you might start to work out what margin you're going to put on top of your costs in order to get a price for your work. Now, I'm going to share with you my theory on this and my methodology, okay? And it's not a business school thing. It is not an MBA thing. <laughs> I do find increasingly as I progress in my own journey that I use intuition a lot in my own pricing, in my own work. There will be a gut feeling. You will have a gut feeling about what is right for you. And it might take a bit of exploration on each side to understand where your tolerance is and therefore where your comfort level is and where that sweet spot is. But try to remember to take your own emotion out of it, all right? So instead of projecting onto the whole process, like, oh, I couldn't afford that, who could afford that? Take all of that judgment out of the way and try and look at this exercise as objectively as you can. So I have a particular test that I use, and it's really just a question I ask myself when I'm exploring different scenarios. So let's say I've worked out my base price, my cost of sales, and I'm thinking, okay, what if I added this onto it? What does that look like? If I added this onto it, what does that look like? And I will get to a figure where I feel actually, it's that, it's that um, Linda Evangelista thing, you know, that famous quote where she said, I would not get out of bed for less than $10,000 a day. It's, it's that sort of thing. You know, I think there's, there's a certain amount below which for me, I would say it isn't really not worth me going through the effort of producing this thing for that amount of money. It's just not worth it, right? With the amount of time I have to put in, with the amount of effort. And, you know, th there, there will be a, a threshold beyond which it just doesn't make sense for me to sell it at that price, right? So that is the asset test that I use. And it'll be different for everybody. Mine is now relatively high, I guess, because I have come to a point in my own journey, in my own career, where I have the confidence to charge what I charge because I know that there's nobody else doing what I'm doing. And also I've been around the block long enough and I've heard enough no's, I've heard enough that's too expensive and I've heard enough of all those things to not take it personally. And if I know that actually the way I'm pricing my work means that I've met my threshold and actually by me taking on this sale, I'm able to do it happily because it's going to be worth my while and it's something I will do with joy. You know, I think be below that threshold, I there, there's an element of not begrudging, but you know, it, it's there's an element of, well, is this really worth it, right? So you need to understand what that threshold and what that level is for you. Because once you understand that, you will understand where your limits are. Now, it is okay to have that set fairly low when you first start, right? Like I said, I'm able to talk like this now because I've had 10 years of experience doing this. But when I started off, I was definitely not charging 
the kind of money that I charge now. I was trying to keep my pricing as feasibly low as possible, bearing in mind that I knew that my my final selling price of my product, because I was selling wholesale, I knew that my price would be marked up by up to 2.8. And therefore, there was a natural ceiling for me. There was a ceiling beyond which I felt that they would become unsellable at retail if I put my prices up too much more. And so it took me years and I definitely learned the hard way that I was not charging enough to make all of this work worthwhile. And I don't just mean from an effort perspective and a joy perspective. I mean, from a financial perspective, I just wasn't making enough money from all of that work. And I think the best benefit really of understanding your threshold and pricing your work according to that threshold is that you will not feel really too devastated if someone walks away because it's too expensive. Because actually, if you did lower your price, and even if they did say yes, it's not really worth your while, right? So I think that for me is 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 my asset test. The other thing I do is I look around and I see what designers who are comparable to me will charge for a similar item. So for example, uh, when I was pricing my tiger sweatshirts, I was looking around at websites like Net-A-Porter and I was looking at sweatshirts and I would be sorting out the prices between low and high. I would see what the lower end prices were and I'd see what the upper end prices were. And believe me when I tell you, the range is vast, okay? They're selling sweatshirts for 150 and they're selling sweatshirts for 1500. <laughs> All right? So it's it's a big big difference. Now, what I'll do is I'll sort of look and I'll say, okay, well which designs here are probably comparable to mine as far as the unique point of view, as far as the design, as far as where I would be merchandised along with other brands in a store, for example, right? And this is actually something I cottoned onto with my jewellery, actually, quite inadvertently. When I first started my line, I, at the time, used to subscribe to a lot of fashion magazines, so Vogue and Elle and whatever, and subscribe to all these magazines every month. And as I'd be living through these magazines, there were probably two or three fashion jewellery brands that were always in the magazines. Like they were regularly in Vogue and Elle and all the magazines. And I remember thinking to myself back then, this is where my jewellery belongs because my jewellery is just as editorial. It is just as striking and it is about the same price. And this is exactly where I belong. And I, I kind of knew that intuitively. It's not even something I kind of, um, you know, like did as part of a marketing exercise. This was just me knowing intuitively that this is where my jewelry sat. And so if you can get to that point with your own work where you understand if someone were to be buying this, who else might they be looking at or who else might they be buying? Or if a store was buying your work, who else are they merchandising alongside you? Because it's not beyond the realm of reason to look around at how those other uh, designers or artists or whatever are pricing their work and putting yourself in that bracket. That is something that you can just use as a little sense check, right? That you're not grossly pricing yourself out of the market, that actually you are in a bracket with comparable makers and designers to you. Also bear in mind that even though it's tempting to keep your prices as low as possible, when you lower your prices, you are going to have to sell more in volume in order to get yourself into any state of profitability, right? It, that's just how the dynamics work. If you price yourself lower, 
you're just going to have to sell more. And maybe you feel that you would sell more because actually your price is more attractive, but that comes with a whole raft of extra work. And especially if you are the one that everything falls down to to make, you know, that can cause you problems because you're only one person and there's only so much time in the day. So that's it really in a, in a nutshell. I mean, that's really how I come to my pricing. I come to a figure and I say, okay, well, does it cover my product costs? Yes. Is there enough money in it for me that when I make the sale, I feel like it's worth my while? Yes. And actually, is it comparable to what other designers are producing of the same caliber? Yes. And so that's it, really. That, that, that's, <laughs> that's how I intuitively work out my own pricing. Okay, let's now move on to the question of how do you justify your prices when the nature of the time involved and the materials that you're using means that your pricing ends up coming out into more of a premium price bracket? Now, this is something that is extremely close to my heart because this is what happened with my jewellery. The nature of my jewellery was that the materials themselves were quite expensive and the labour involved in producing the jewellery was also quite long. And so that did naturally put my jewellery into a more premium price bracket. Now, the first thing I'm going to say about this is if this is the situation for you, then it really helps your case if your work looks as expensive as it is. Bear in mind that the price you're putting on your work is to you an actual value. However, in the mind of your customer, there is a perceived value to that same work. And so long as those two values are aligned, there's no need to really justify your prices, really, is there? I think the need to justify your pricing comes in when the actual value that you're putting on that work is at odds with the perceived value of that same work in the mind of your customer. Because so long as those two values are aligned, there will be no need to justify your work. That person will get it. And I think actually that is a big reason why I didn't really have much pushback on the prices of my jewellery. Even though my jewellery was in a higher price bracket because the nature of the time involved in producing the pieces and the expense of the materials did push it into a premium price bracket. And when I would have buyers that would meet me and be introduced to my work and they would be asking about prices, most of the time, instead of kind of saying, oh, actually, that's quite high, the response I got more often than not was, oh, you know, we thought it was going to be, we thought it was going to be that price, you know, like with that sense of disappointment, not because it they it was not what they expected, but they were just disappointed that it was a bit too high for them to purchase for their stores, right? And so because they saw or they perceived that the jewellery was going to be expensive and it turned out that it was as expensive as their perception, there was no need to query or push back on the actual prices. So now let's talk about the situation where maybe the perceived value of your work in that customer's mind does not match up with the actual value you're putting on that work, that the value of that work is not immediately obvious to that customer. Now, in all honesty, I think the only really way around this is transparency. It really is about making your whole story, making your whole process, and making everything about your work as transparent as you can. Because 
what that person is buying into or what that person is actually buying, what you're putting a value on, goes beyond the physical product. What happens is when someone sees our physical product, they are just judging it by what they can literally see, right? Just the intricacy of how it's made or the materials. And bear in mind that the way human brains work, it will that person will also generalize you in a certain way. So they might say, oh, well, their work is like so-and-so's or that's very much like so-and-so's. And they will immediately put you in a bracket that you may not necessarily belong. That's not their fault. They just don't know enough about you and they don't know enough about what goes into your work for them to understand all the value that is being priced into it. So the onus really is on you to share that information and to share that whole story with that customer and make them feel part of it and that they understand what they're buying into that goes beyond the physical product. This is something that I've had to do on many, many occasions. And I'll give you one example. When I was launching my ready-to-wear tiger sweatshirts, I decided to price them retail at £455. Now, in order to really help people to understand why that sweatshirt had costed £455 and not £50, involved a lot of transparency. It involved me explaining that the fabrics that I used were just too expensive for any high street brand to use. They just wouldn't buy it. Secondly, I was not having them made in a factory. I was actually recruiting home sewists from around the UK who have an amazing skill. Many of them are professional sewers, like ex-professional sewers who worked in costume and theatre and because of COVID have had no work this year. You know, so I'm working on a whole other manufacturing model where effectively I'm able to give back to sewists within my own community as a result of selling these sweatshirts. The fact that it was a limited edition, the fact that it was the first product, the first design that was being brought out under House of Akong. There were so many firsts along the way that I think the people who had ordered from me at £455 really understood that what they were buying into was more than a sweatshirt. They were buying into the concept, they were buying into the story, and they were buying into the whole ethos of what House of Akong is trying to do. You know, so that that only happened because I was quite rigorous about showing up and being transparent and telling people about it, sharing the story and involving them in the whole process along the way. So you really cannot have it both ways. You cannot expect to put your product out there with a premium price tag and sit back and expect people to fill in the blanks. They will not. You know, it's not it's not their job to do that. It's your job. You are the maker. You are the creator. You are the seller. All right. It is your responsibility to show up and to be making efforts to explain and to share your story and to form relationships with your prospective customers, bringing them on that journey with you rather than expecting them just to get it. Now, if you find yourself in the position where you feel like you're doing everything to convey your story and to really explain why your work costs what it costs and you're still having no traction and you feel like you're not making any sales, I mean, there could be numerous other reasons for that. You know, it's not always just to do with your pricing. You know, pricing is not always to blame for everything. It could be that you're just not speaking to the right people about it. It could be that, to be blunt, that your product just isn't needed in that space. You know, I think sometimes we have to come to terms with the fact that there is a lot of work out there. 
you know, and in order for us to stand out, in order for us to find our own space, we really have to dig deeper and find that space where our work is actually needed and desired. When we try and push it into a space where it's already saturated or it's just not wanted or needed, no matter how high or low you price your work, it's just not going to sell. So look at all of this as learning experience. You know, you won't always get it right in the first go. I certainly didn't. Some of these things do come from experience and you just have to get out there and give it a go and see what works, see what doesn't. Because, you know, this is the beauty about business. And especially when you're a one person business is you have the flexibility to adapt yourself based on what you're learning and based on the response that you're getting. And you can do that pretty quickly and easily. Okay, so before we wrap up this episode about pricing, I thought it might be worth just dropping one last thought in there for you. If you are finding that most of your work or your products are coming out at a very premium price and you are just starting off or the early stages of business, you may want to consider how you can diversify your product range so that there are things that are a bit more accessible. So for me, if I just offered ready-to-wear, you would be talking about the hundreds of pounds bracket mark, right? And personally, I don't price my work at that level because I'm trying to be elitist or because I'm trying to make it prestigious and, and a status thing that only people with money can afford it. That's not what it's about for me at all. For me, it's about this is the threshold at which it makes sense for me to take on this work and to produce this item, right? However, I, it doesn't matter to me whether you produce it yourself or whether I produce it. To me, the end is the same, which is you have something that you love and, and cherish. So that is a big part of the reason why I am very passionate about making my designs available to people to DIY so that I sell the fabrics, I sell the sewing patterns, I effectively sell all the assets you need in order to recreate my products for yourself at home for a fraction of the price that it would cost for me to make it for you. So also think about, in addition to your finished product or whatever your premium product is, let's say, or the product that's uh, being charged at that premium, is there a way you can make something in there more accessible for people that it can be accessed at a lower price? Just think about that, okay? And just think about whether that's something you can work into your business model that might help you offer a range of prices that would be accessible to more people. So in summary, there really is no right way or wrong way to price your work. It really does come down to a bit of intuition. And I honestly believe that your heart and your gut already knows what you should be charging for your work. So listen to that, really tune in to what you know your work is worth. And after that, you just share your story and share everything that goes into your work, every single facet about it, and you will find that it will find its way in the world. Well, I really hope that's answered all your questions on pricing. Thank you so much to Lucy Call 44 and Charlotte Morgan 1 for submitting them. Well, that's it. I hope you found that useful. Let's keep the conversation going. You can find me on Instagram at Nicole underscore Akong. And while you're here, why not leave me an early review? <laughs> Probably like me, you're not necessarily a reviewer, but you know, what the hell, chuck a girl a bone. Go ahead and leave me a review if you found this episode useful. And again, connect with me over on Instagram at Nicole underscore Akong.
as we part ways for today, my friend. May you follow the path where your bliss goes and all abundance flows. Thank you for listening. Until next time.